This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Welcome back to hour two of Kelly and Ramia. I'm Ramia Amadin. Kelly McDonald here. And I want to tell you about The Pulse, which you can catch this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific. Tina Oakley is the guest on the show with Juwita Gupta, the host of this, for foreign donations. And she's going to be reflecting on her journey as a black parent with an, um, a child with an amputee. And that is going to be a very intriguing conversation with Joita and Tina. 1.30 p.m. Eastern on Thursday or 10.30 a.m. Pacific. Let's get to our community report. We kick off the second hour with community reports Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesdays on the show. And today we're joined by Tony Frymark in Medicine Hat, Alberta. Tony, how's it going? Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah, same to you. Hopefully you guys uh, had a piece of chocolate. You know, it's kind of absolutely excuse to have one today. Yes, and I have one every day, so I really never miss. <laughs> milk t- she has the milk chocolate, oh, Tony, when we're supposed to be having the dark chocolate. Oh, no, I've upgraded 70% dark. Yep. Reasonable. Okay. No, wait, 85, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you have got to 85. Oh, yes. Good for you. Thank you. Uh, Tony, what's your favorite chocolate? I'd have to say, well, I just like any chocolate. I knew yeah. it. <laughs> Can you do the dark chocolate, Tony? Yeah, it's kind of a little much, though. <laughs> okay. It's healthier, though. I've it heard. is. It's That's exactly what we were talking about. Oh, Rummy segment. eats more yeah. of it. Exactly. The more She's chocolate I can have, the better. <laughs> so, um, we're talking about a few things with you today, Tony, that involve you, like your experiences with, uh, for example, your white cane. So let's start with that one. Yeah, so... Basically, I had a mobility cane for about 30 years, and it was always folded up. You know, take the odd uh, orientation mobility lesson. You know, we had to do it in school. They would come out. We didn't have a choice. They would uh, take us out of uh, classes that uh, we wanted to, you know, like social studies. Take us out of that class. No, let's take us out of physical education to to, to teach us orientation and mobility with the cane. But uh, anyway, so 30 years had passed and uh, I had got hit by a car actually. Um, and Ooh. after that, I decided that even though I was wearing everything thing neon, my shoes, my shirt, absolutely everything, mm. the lady didn't see me, right? So I'm like, okay. I'm going to pull out my mobility cane that very next day and I'm going to use it. So I went through the stages, you know, I uh, had the cane folded up as soon as I got on the bus because I took transit and uh, I, I was like, everybody knows me here. Like, I, I, I don't like doing, I don't like this, you know, mm. but um, what happened is my cane never folded up anymore. So that is what allowed me to finally go through, well, not all of the stages of uh, of using a mobility cane, but uh, 
now basically the mobility cane has became a part of me and I don't know how I navigated this world <laughs> without one so just want people to know that if you're struggling to use the mobility cane there is stages you're going to go through yes. you'll go through those stages and then eventually you will get to the point that you know what like I said before it's just a part of me I can navigate this uh, world a little bit more safe. Thank you for sharing all that, Tony. I, I'm honestly um, really glad that you decided to share this on the show and, and with our listeners, because as you say, that, that quote of, I can't believe, you know, I went so long without using my cane, or I can't believe, what, how did I used to do this without my oh, cane? It's a very stark reflection, right? Going back and thinking before six years ago, all the same things that you navigate now that you used to navigate without your cane and thinking, how did I get away with that? Like, who was on my side at that point? Um, but it, you're right, it is a journey and it is stages of acceptance of your disability, of using a mobility device, um, et cetera, and the people around you and all these other things, these nuances for every person is very different. But for you now, you're feeling good about it? I am. And like, I do know that like just from people when they're walking with me, like friends and family, it's still the lack of education. People don't know what the mobility cane is. So, you know, you get the looks apparently and you get the people that either don't get out of your way or they clearly get out of the, out of, <laughs> out of the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so true. And, and Tony, that's the way to go with it. I think, and I think after when you get hit by the car, it's almost like you pick it up, carry it almost as that, not, hey, look, I, I have a vision impairment, but almost like it's a, 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 a some kind of screen for us too, yep. you know, to ward off danger. And, and in a lot of cases, it does. I know some people think it may draw a little more attention to them, um, but hopefully it, if it does, it's, it's in a positive way. Let, let's continue a little bit with your mobility and stuff. Another really interesting experience you've had that I think probably lend itself to a few of us out there, taping the stairs at your condo complex for better contrast. Yeah, so basically when they when they did some uh some renos outside landscaping scaping and whatnot, they asked me, like they put uh that uh what is it? Um stuff that you put on the so it rubber, sorry, I was thinking of that word, of rubber on the like where where you walk in the entrances outside and then down the stairs like on all the entrances so basically what right. they they asked me they were like you know what should we do to because we know you live here and like uh, a floor like, marker kind of thing right yeah so they yeah. put like yeah so they put uh the, the yellow tape on the on the stairs going down the the other entryways because i have a really big condo complex so there's a few a few doors to go out of and yeah it's the it's a, a really great contrast and the fact that they took the time to you know ask me what what should we do because we do have braille on the elevators in here right before like i didn't live here when it was built but it's like that's so cool that like i mm. said they took the time to ask me um yeah what's the yeah. best and you know, and you don't slip because it's made out of that rubber 
and whatnot too. So it does it does really help. It doesn't have the tactile side of it, right? But yeah. you can still see it like pretty clearly. Well, I I love the idea you had that input be, that they they thought to ask because most of us the best we'll get is maybe some of that marker or the braille if you use it in an elevator or large print letters or anything like that on things which is is absolutely vital when it comes to you know our community and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But when they went around and checked with the, with people like yourself that are there, wow, wow, what a great idea. Sure, we know what may work for you doesn't necessarily work for someone else who's low vision or blind uh or, or they might want something a little different. But that time taken is precious, and the difference it makes is wonderful. So, and good for you for being able to give them, you know, some ideas. Because some people, well, I don't know, just, well, you guys figure it out. And it's really wonderful to be a part of that and have it tailor made. So, congratulations, and and fedoras off to them for coming to you and talking to you. Mm -hmm. I think that um, even as you mentioned, Kels, not what works for one person will work for another, but quite the opposite sometimes as well, right? Like, Tony, yes. you gave your input, oh, yeah. and now these rubberized uh, mats and indicators, I guess, would be helpful for other people, even if it's not necessarily a disability situation. So right. that's something we learn all the time as well. Uh, but it's cool. It's cool to give your input on these things, and I think that it motivates us to advocate further. Because sometimes we talk about the opposite and say, you know, I'm tired of advocating. I'm advocating all the time. But uh, when people come to you and say, hey, how can we make this easier, more accessible, more inclusive for you? It does encourage, at least for me, uh, to keep mm -hmm. moving. Be a part of the mm -hmm. process. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the Alberta um, affordability payments program that you wanted to highlight. So... This is a program that, so people that are on the assistive income for the severely handicapped, ones that are getting money from the government um, type of thing, they are giving $100 each per month for six months in like a separate payment. And then for, and it's for seniors as well. And then people that have children, they can also apply. Um, they have to apply separately, whereas these other programs, that is automatic. So it's kind of nice that it's not just geared towards people that have disabilities or, or whatnot, that they're willing to want to help, uh, you know, parents that could use this. Mm. And I know we had a bit of a conversation around this before, Tony, do you feel like it's still doing well, offering good things? Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. So, like, really, that's a, that's $200 um, each month extra, rough, like, because I talked about that other program before, and now, yes. now they came up with this one for, for six months. Yeah. So. And, like, in, in many contexts, Tony, we've talked about on the show, having the um, understanding that people with disabilities and the offers of financial support needs to be increased as times get harder, more difficult, and obviously um, this needs to happen, but not everyone and not every program is equal, right? So That's very true, yeah. 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 Um, but it's always good to keep posted and keep updated on what's going on in Alberta and Medicine Hat with you. So thank you so much for joining us. 
Yeah, thank you. Don't eat too much chocolate now. I don't know about that. Uh, what was that? I'm sorry. I didn't <laughs> hear what she thing? said. Yeah, no. No, I didn't, no, I'm so you. I didn't hear her. <laughs> we heard everything else, though, Tony. Thank you. Everything. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> We were talking to Tony Frymark, and she's our community reporter in Medicine Hat, Alberta. All our community reporters join us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and each of them join us once a month. After the break, we're talking to Amy Koopel, and she's with the Ontario Caregivers Organization. She has tips for how we can show love to our caregivers in our lives. They're very important people, and we'll find out more about that after the break on Kelly and Rumia. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. We're back with Kelly and Ramya on AMI. Well into the second hour and still lots of conversations to go. But let me tell you about the neutral zone lovingly known as TNZ around our hood. This week's edition of The Neutral Zone, one of the most respected people in the parasport community is joining the gang. Uh, Devin Haru is bringing everybody up to speed on everything, they say, from the Paralympic Games and the Arctic Winter Games to curling and everything else, like the upcoming Scotty's Tournament of Hearts. It's going to be a really fantastic conversation. It aired this morning at 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio, but you can, of course, check out the podcast for the audio on-demand version and go on YouTube for the video podcast of The Neutral Zone with Brock Richardson of the gang. I'm Ramia Amuthan here with Kelly McDonald on Kelly and Ramia. I love these conversations, Ram. When we get a chance to find out about supporting, about being there, and doing kind of getting different ideas to say, hey, thank you. I appreciate the support or learning about supports mm-hmm. for the people out there that are doing so many things. And 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 it's vital. It's vital. So let's get into this here. Um, the Ontario Caregivers Association is a not-for-profit agency that supports Ontario's 4 million family caregivers. Four million folks. Amy Kupal with the OCO is here to give us some great tips what you can do for all the uh, caregivers in your life and fill us in on what the organization itself is doing. Amy, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here on Kelly and Ramya. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really delighted to be here. Well, it's wonderful, as I said, when we can talk about something like this and really stop and say, wow. Yeah, what is there to support those caregivers out there, those people out there? So tell us what is the Ontario Caregivers Organization? And I think I said association before, I correct myself, organization. Yeah, thanks so much. So the Ontario Caregiver Organization does support those 4 million caregivers who are ordinary people providing emotional or physical support to a family member, friend, partner, or neighbor. And we know that many of them are working full time. They may also be caring for other family. They may be providing uh, more than 10 hours a week in caregiving to the person or people that they care for. So we know from our own research at OCO that 58% of those 4 million caregivers say they feel burnt out and 63% say they reached their breaking point in the last year, but they knew they had no choice but to keep going. So, you know, this is this is really an interesting point for all of us to note because caregivers need recognition and support as well, but sometimes it can be hard for caregivers to ask. And many times people say, let me know what I can do. And it just becomes mm-hmm. one more thing for a caregiver to figure out. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's a hard thing because of the position. You're a caregiver. You know, if you come up and say, well, what can we do to help you with, uh, you know, what can we give you for taking care of your mom? And the last thing you're thinking, what, what do you mean I need to be paid to take care of my mom? She's ailing or whatever. That's not what's meant. But you feel that burnout and you forge forward. Um, is, is that kind of some of the reasoning that it is tougher for people to be able to understand and take that and understand that, yeah, you should be getting some kinds of supports, even if it's just to help or spell you or a little financial whatever direction to find something. Is that the kind of trouble you have getting people in this position to to be on board with getting help for, for, for being that caregiver? Well, caregiving is as unique as the people involved. So each yeah. situation, all of the people involved are unique. But we've certainly noticed some trends and one of the things that caregivers welcome are the things that people do where they just step up. They show up with a cup of coffee, they shovel the driveway, they drop off a meal. And those small acts of kindness can really make a difference in brightening somebody's day. And sometimes these things are very personal to the individual situations. So for example, when I was a caregiver for my mom when she was in the hospital, I had to park on the street in my neighborhood. And one of my neighbors let me park in their driveway so when I was coming home late at night, I didn't have to worry about trying to find somewhere to park. That was a great act of kindness that made a huge difference in my life and in my caregiving journey. Yeah, these are so specific. And I think that that's what makes the difference in knowing, you know, what it is that people need, how we can actually support them. What you said about the caregivers having to try to find what they need uh, and that being another thing on their to-do list is so true. Can you tell us about the Undercover Kindness Project? Yeah, so we really created this because A, we know that caregivers often feel lonely and isolated. And B, mm -hmm. we started to see people rallying around each other more in community related to COVID-19. Yes. And so we created the Undercover Kindness Project as really a heartfelt way to inspire Ontarians to show the family caregivers in their lives some of that much needed kindness. So we invited people to share a little bit about the caregiver or caregivers that they know and an idea that they had of that undercover act of kindness that could help make their day a bit better. And we called it undercover because we wanted it to be something that would surprise them and be a meaningful act that would just be something that would make their life a little bit different. So then what we've done is we've selected some of those acts of kindness to show other people, you know, this is how it feels when you step up and do something for the caregiver in your life. And we hope that other people will take on that idea and think about the people in their lives and what they could do for them. Yeah. It's got to be overwhelming for some people to think of, well, what can I do? Because you know the person who's doing that job, whether it's a sibling helping a little bit more than you're maybe able to do with, with dad's problems and, and what's going on. So you, you feel, I'm sure, a little guilty and you think, well, what? All I can do is say thanks for being there for dad when maybe I should be doing more. And these are those little things like you just mentioned about that parking spot that are so tremendous. Um, can we talk a little bit about Random Acts of Kindness Day as well? For sure. So it's Random Act of Kindness Day on February the 17th, and we hope this is a time that people get uh, rallying around this idea and also begin to notice who the caregivers are in their lives and in their communities. Sometimes when we have these conversations about caregiving, people realize, oh, wow, I'm a caregiver. 
or someone else in my family is a caregiver or my neighbor in my building or down the street is a caregiver. And so sometimes it starts with that recognition and awareness. And then Random Acts of Kindness Day is a great opportunity to say, what's the one thing that I know I can do that will be meaningful in the life of that person? And it might just be a phone call, a coffee, or saying, hey, do you need somebody to water the plants? Another act of kindness, of course, that we'd love people to do is to connect them with the Ontario Caregiver Organization. So we have free programs, free services, and tons of information on our website at ontariocaregiver.ca, as well as a 24-7 helpline that's there for caregivers to really talk through and, and address some of those practical supports that they might need as well. When wow. you talk about the different things that caregivers may need that, you know, before the segment, we could be so unaware of, right? Like the, the stresses and anxieties that they face or the the physical support that they would need um, around their homes or in their own lives because they've taken out so much time. And then also the readiness and preparedness that sometimes people become caregivers with zero notice, Right. Like they just they just fall into that role. And now they have all these extra responsibilities that they didn't sign up for. I, I really, really appreciate this conversation, Amy. Is there anything you have wanted to shout out but missed so far in how we can take care of our caregivers, how we can award them, how we can think of them, remember them? Um, anything else you want to mention? Well, you really highlighted this piece about balancing work and care. And usually people who are caregivers are balancing that with work, family, community, other commitments that they have in their lives. And so I would highlight employers as another area that we're focused on, helping employers think about how they can have caregiver-friendly workplaces, which makes it easier for those of us who are caregivers to balance work and care. So if you're curious, check out what we have on our website at ontariocaregiver.ca. And if there's something that you feel you need information on that we can help with, let us know and we can have that dialogue. Amy, what about the first-time caregivers? In that sense that, like Rami said a moment ago, people are thrust suddenly into it. And those supports, that those people who are really frightened, uh, they've got to deal with, like you say, maybe work and other things in their life. But the, the, the future of the person, there being that caregiver, it's so overwhelming. Is that a, an area that right off the bat, any of us knowing, watching, is that like such a vital area to jump in and, and do some of these acts or show that support? It really is. And, you know, we have a booklet just for that called the I Am A Caregiver booklet that really walks through some of those introductory things that you may want to think about as a caregiver. Again, the situations are so unique depending on mm -hmm. the individual or individuals yes. that you're caregiving for, but we've got some thought starters. Two other things that I would recommend thinking about are calling our helpline and having a conversation about the particular circumstances that you're in. And also, if you're feeling like you're needing additional support, this is a place that peer support can be great yes. because then we connect you with someone who may be further along in their own experience who can share some of that knowledge and wisdom that might make life easier for you as well. Yeah. yeah, we talk about the stigma with uh, um, a lot of other things like, you know, testicular cancer during Movember and things like that. But just being able to say whatever it is that's on your mind, whatever it is you're struggling with as a caregiver and going to all these resources, as you're saying, but really that first conversation of this is 
difficult. This is exhausting. This is whatever it is. And having the, the conversations around the emotions and capacity is so important. And we want to encourage that. You know, we, we do hear about stigma with caregivers and my message to caregivers is, I know you're here for that person or people that you're here for, and we're here for you. Mm. So we want to break down that loneliness, break down that isolation and have those conversations. It's not always easy. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's practical and sometimes that's emotional. But if we connect with information and support, it really can make that a little bit easier. And uh, and that's what we're here for, to really support the caregivers so that they can keep going yes. uh, in yeah, a role that sure. they've chosen to take on in their lives. It, Amy, is there a lot of guilt for their own to do the things? Because I mean, we talk about them having to do work, so many other things, plus that caregiving piece. Where's their time for themselves that is absolutely crucial to re, you know re, replenish themselves but is is there always, did you find with caregivers, do they tend to go to, I feel guilty, I feel I have to, that doing things for myself, that has to come absolutely last? Well, we certainly do see that pattern, right? And when there are things that need to be done uh, to provide care for someone else, the caregiver almost inevitably will do that first. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we want to sort of look at what's the practical balance of things and how do we ensure that you as the caregiver can keep going? One of the things I'm most concerned about is the continuing growing rates of burnout. And yes. caregivers are important, not just because they're real people living real lives, but because somebody else is relying on them. So mm -hmm. we want to make sure that we can bolster the caregiver and, and not just have them survive, but thrive. This is really my vision is that you can be a caregiver and you can balance that responsibility within all of the other things that you choose to do or you're responsible for doing in your life. And I know as a caregiver myself, that's not always easy, but that's why we need to be there for each other and support each other. And these acts of kindness make a big difference. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. And Amy, we do have to say thank you to all the caregivers out there today. If you haven't heard it, thank you. Um, can you tell us where to go for more information? So you're welcome to visit our website on ontariocaregiver.ca. We have lots of information about the Undercover Kindness Project. If you're inspired to do an act of kindness, of course, a great act of kindness can be sharing information uh, for the caregiver in your life about the kinds of information and program and services that we have. But we also have lots of resources that are available on our website and through our helpline. And so come and check us out and let's engage in a dialogue and see how we can support you in the kinds of things that uh, that any individual might be working through. Wonderful. And Amy, thank you guys for being there and all that support. Thanks for making time for us today. Thanks so much for having me. That was uh, Amy Kupal chatting with us about the Ontario Caregivers Organization and showing us some ways that we can get involved in spreading some of that kindness and cheer. So much of the taken for granted when we think of caregiving or just, you know, leave it in the background. But these kind of conversations are so important. After the break, we're checking in on a collection of John Melville's travel memorabilia and all kinds of other stuff that he has. We'll be right back with that. It's fun, insightful and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. We're back 
back. You're tuning in to Kelly and Ramia on AMI, and we're going to be jumping into a real fun segment. I'm Ramia Amuthan here with Kelly McDonald. And once a month, we have what we call our collections and hobbies segment. Very, very self-explanatory. We explore the things that you're collecting, maybe the hobbies that you've recently gotten into, and the stories and sentiments behind all of this. Um, it gets really fun and really personal. Hopefully we ask questions that don't make people feel very uncomfortable, but nonetheless. Why, why are you saying that? Is there something on no. your mind to ask no, this next this guest? This is not prefacing anything to come. I'm just thinking back, you, you know, reflecting. Look at this list of things here. You're going to ask something personal? Like, oh, there's an interesting collection where we might go. Maybe he's appeared in a newspaper. Anyway, we'll get there. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm just saying, you know, based on past segments, because we've had, you know, a year plus of these so far... You, you aren't going to corner this guy about the fact that he talked about coming on, and talked about his collections numerous times well, and we haven't brought him on? we'll forgive because him because he's, he's coming you? on now. I think we've actually locked him in. Like, he's on Zoom. He's ready, I think. <laughs> so, so we'll just continue forward with good vibes. John Melville is the, the victim uh, that we're talking about, Vice President of Content Development and Programming for AMI-TV and AMI-audio. John, welcome back. Hi, guys. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. Thank you, sir. And into the collections we go. So you sure. have many collections. Okay, several, numerous collections. Before we get into the details of the ones that we're going to talk about today, what do you collect? Um, well, it depends who you ask. If you're asking me, <laughs> it's things that uh, mean something to me. If you ask my wife, it's uh, probably more along sort of the hoarding thing. Oh, uh, no. Um, we, we use the word feng shui a lot around here. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, or, or against uh, the collections, though. But that's a good thing because I think what it allowed me to do is kind of hone uh, what I do have into the sort of the, the things that are of most value to me. And it's not necessarily financial value. It's just things that have a connection to me. So it's true. I mean, if you have too much stuff, you, you don't know where half of it is most of the time. So Unless you organize like it have... nicely. Well, I was just yeah, going to say, like it's all in the I way you see. do that. Right? It's right. all in the way you organize. If you box it up, I had a buddy that loved his hockey cards. You'd never know of it because they were all in boxes in the basement, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I understand that. But if someone said, well, can I look at some of these? Well, you know, you can look at the cartons. Um, yeah. But that's the whole thing, John. So for you, you've put the effort into having it where you can go and enjoy it and look at it. Yeah, it's sort of around me uh, on display, up on the wall. In a, I've got an, a display case in the kind of room I hang out in. Uh, the kids have used this to sort of record music, so um, and and they're they're blown away by it. So there's like questions about, well, what's that, you know? And 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 it it gives me a chance to sort of talk about a part of my life that was important. I tend to have a connection to everything I have here. So it's either something I've done, something that was important to me, or a big news event or something like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, there's uh, there's different things, different themes. So sure, fire away. Okay. All right. So yeah, I was going to ask, like, what all these different things have in common, but I guess it's the sentimentality and the experience. Yeah. So I, I collect, like, uh, I'm very interested in history. Um, I'm very interested in Ontario history. Uh, I actually, have been, my sons are out in BC now, so I've been traveling around there. So we spend a lot of time and these are 20 something 
kids, uh, but they're fascinated by sort of how things started. And in BC, I, I've been doing a lot of uh, sort of personal discovery on, on Ontario, which has a fascinating history, uh, especially southern Ontario where we live. Um, mm-hmm. And and so I collect maps. I, I, I collect old road maps. I collect uh, air. Uh, we talked about sort of airline memorabilia and newspapers. Mm. Um, so I got into that uh you know, uh, when we first emigrated from Scotland, we came out uh, across Can- or came out first of all through the Panama Canal. This was in the late '60s, um, and traveled on a boat uh, ship, I guess, all the way to Vancouver. Stopped at San Francisco. That was like my my main kind of first impression, going under the Golden Gate Bridge and then under the Lionsgate Bridge. Uh, yeah, so I've got like stuff from back then, menus from the ship that we were on back in 1968. Wow, that's wild because people talk about that gateway as we know that bridge to be in San Francisco. You know, when you talk about the Golden Gate and you always would get those those shots on TV and movies of it. But for so many newcomers, that's what they knew. San Francisco right. going to the United States and that gateway, which is what it was supposed to be, John. So that's a really interesting. Can you can we talk a little bit about that, your travels that way in the sense of your airline memorabilia. <laughs> well, I have an interesting story to tell you. I don't want to get too morbid, but it, it really triggered me uh, as a young child. I was this was 1971, and I was on a. I've got a. I've got a prop here. Um, a BO, BOAC uh, 747-100, the first of its kind. This is one of my collection here, um, and uh, we were flying from Toronto to London to meet my grandmother unaccompanied, and. Uh, back then, there wasn't the security they have then, but there was a bomb threat on the plane. So we ended up in Denver, Colorado, uh, because it was a high altitude wow. airport. And as it turned out, it was a hoax. So, but back then, there were real things happening and there were hoaxes. Yep. So we took like uh, 27 hours to get from Toronto to London. We went via New York. But that inspired me to um, really sort of have this kind of hobby, I guess, or maybe an obsession about, you know, airlines and airline memorabilia. So especially back then in the 60s and 70s, uh, when I was growing up as a kid, I've got like a Trans-Canada Airlines uh, timetable, the predecessor to Air Canada, which I'm holding up right now. Um, I've got a uh, cutting edge uh, <laughs> pamphlet for the uh, BOAC 747. There we go. Wow. Um, so, and it's got like pictures and everything else in it from uh, back then. I just love the artwork from the 60s, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, uh, I, I, I'm one of my sons is, is a pilot now, too. Uh, go figure, oh, right? He's flying out on, on the BC West Coast. Just influenced wow. by your collection. Uh, however it works yeah we, we sit around and t- we sit around and talk about planes i know airport codes it's it's way too much but you know what it's like bart Sim- or homer simpson says you got to let some things out of your brain to let new things in right true uh yeah on to your kids so john i can't you know help but ask because you were holding things and showing us things I, i'm curious about if there's any part of your collections that only stay behind glass only stay protected and you don't handle and check them out well, pretty much um, from, uh, I mean, most of it is behind glass because my kids are all growing up. And I mean, if I'd left the stuff out when they were little, it probably would have ended up in the toy box. Uh, remember in Toy Story 2, the, I loved that when the guy uh, was at uh, the, the prospector was in the box uh, because mm-hmm. the, he was he was 
being held hostage by the toy collector. Um, so I don't want my 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 stuff to feel that way. But uh, I do have a couple of things that are quite fragile. Um, I'm holding up a picture of the uh, San Francisco Examiner from October 16th, 1989, which was when the last major earthquake hit San Francisco. And mm. as 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 we can see, or as I can say, the the it's quite yellow um, because. Uh, when newspapers get exposed to sunlight, they're going to start to deteriorate, right? So you do have to kind of keep them away from ultraviolet light, uh, you know, if you want them to last. But then some people like that yellowing look too, and it, it certainly, you can't avoid it sometimes. But uh, I what? do my best oh. just to protect the stuff, you know? Yeah. What's the date of that again, John? October? October 17th, 1989. And and I'll tell you just uh, the connect, because I mentioned that I'm connected to my stuff. Um, it wasn't because of the earthquake or anything else, but... Uh, October 17th, 1989 was the, the first day I started an overnight shift at a radio station. So it was like my first official job in radio. Oh. Um, and I remember because we were hopping overnight and the news was coming in about this earthquake in San Francisco. It was actually the Blue Jays. Uh, no, sorry. The, the Jays, no. Oakland Athletics were playing yep. the 40, uh, the San Francisco, um, help me out there, Kelly. Giants, the <laughs> um, Giants. The Giants. I was watching the game. Wow. We were watching, watching the game. too, right? Uh, and we were we had Tom Cheek and Jerry Howarth there, and uh, they had to run away from you know everything that was going on at the time. Uh, get safe, uh, but that was the day I started in radio. So it's kind of cool to have that little memento of uh, you know a very tragic event. You know, mm. yeah, yeah, and it was it was terrible. Do you want to talk about travel posters? Well, yeah, I was sort of giving you a little bit of that with the, uh, the you know, the BOAC stuff. Um, mm -hmm. I, I have, uh, I, I don't have it available for display on the show here because it's a full poster. Uh, we have them in the house, but I, uh, P&O, which was the shipping line that we came to Canada on, they ran a fleet of uh, white ships back in the 60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, and a lot of the, they weren't cruises as much as they were people that were emigrating and they would do a circuit of the world, basically. People would get on and off as they went around. We got off in Vancouver. Uh, but I have posters, uh, original travel posters that used to hang in travel agencies for those uh those ships right for those cruises you know and, and there's one that's got the caption run away to sea with P&O lines right and there's a little kid uh talking to one of the officers on the deck of the ship right nice. I've got it framed you know and there's two others that I have too which has similar P&O posters but I understand they're quite valuable now because they're original travel posters from the 60s yeah have you sold any of your uh, collection because of the value Oh, I'm glad back we can't see him right because you're swearing in his ears. Um, well, back to Kelly's point, uh, you know, a, a, as a hoarder, you know, a collector, <laughs> um, I can't sell stuff, you know. Then I, then as a sentimental person, John. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, you know what I have been doing. Um, I have been, you know, as I mentioned earlier, with my kids, right? Um, if they see something that really interests them, I'll just give it to them. Like it's like, hmm. you know, it's time for it to move on, and you know, why don't you take this now that you know the story behind it? So um, I suppose it's sort of a living heirloom in that respect, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then do you like backseat drive how they store it and keep it and handle <laughs> nah, it? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But yeah, I, 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 but that's I, part of hobbies. Giving it, get, passing it on, right? right? I don't exactly. mean the backseat complaint. No, watch what you do with that as you're crying because you're giving it up to them. Yeah. No, don't take care of it where you take it. Um, is John, is there a thing out there with some of that stuff, sharing it online, or is that a big no-no? Like for you to take a picture of the poster, say, hey, look what I, you know, is that a, 
Why would I do that? But if you were in a group online talking to people that were really curious about some of these things, do people do that? Is that a big no-no? Um, well, I mean, if you want to get a picture, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's not the original, I don't see any anything wrong with that. Um, I mean, if you look at eBay, people post pictures all the time. And I, for one, have, you know, screenshot things because, I mean, I, it's like I may not buy it, but I want to look at it. Um, yeah. It's not quite the same because it doesn't have any value because it's just a shot of something. Um, and certainly, I mean, I would never post anything without permission from the either copyright holder or the, the original owner. It's really mm -hmm. for personal use. Um, right. You know, but uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with, uh, you know, I mean, some of this stuff is quite rare. And, you know, whether it's a replica or where it's a photograph, you know, if people get something out of it, I think it's great that, you know, people yeah. have collections that they can share. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the communication part of it is, uh, at least recently, almost as big as the collecting itself, right? Being able to share online and talk to others who are into the same kinds of things as you or remember the same pieces of information that you do in, in the collecting way. Yeah, it's sort of like that wiki culture we're in, you yep. know, where um, we share information, particularly if you're talking about history exactly. and somebody's got, oh, you know what, I've got an original print print of this day and, you know, whatever relating to a story. So you, you have a way of kind of sort of putting the whole thing together through, you know, that crowd share uh, kind of online thing that goes on, which is a, a nice addition to mm -hmm. the way we used to be where we just had our own collections and they died in quiet, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> away from light, away from anybody's eyes or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's cool. It's it's like bringing back the past in these very tactile ways. Speaking of which, do you know what the oldest thing you own is in terms of newspapers or airline memorabilia or travel posters or any of that? Yeah, I th I think I do. I have, um, and I got this, I don't know where I got this from because it might have been out of a family sort of trunk or something because I don't remember buying it. But it's an original dictionary, a Canadian dictionary that was published in, I think, in Toronto in like 1906. And it's wow. all yellow pages, wow. right? And oh. somebody's made notes in it as well. And because I found this thing and I'm looking through it. And the first thing I always do is go to the copyright date in the front. And I was like blown away. Right. It's like, how did I get it? How did I end up with this? Right. And it's in my bookshelf now with my other books. Right. But uh, that's probably one of the oldest things. I, I my my parents used to have an original child's garden of verses that was Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, children's book uh, that was published like in the late 1800s. Right. I, I don't know whatever happened to that, but that was probably the oldest thing our family had but, that is in alignment with, you know, some of the things that I'm showing you today. Right. Printed yeah. matter, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Dictionary, though, that's not even just like a sliver of paper. That's no. A that's a whole yeah. well it, it's it's amazing too with the sort of canadian history angle that i'm currently yes. going down you know yeah to well and, and that was an interesting year right you have the big earthquake you have the big fire that year yeah. in in canada um yeah. if i have my dates right and of course the san francisco uh earthquake was 06 so yeah that's really interesting i i wondered mm -hmm. if you had any papers from back in that era anything that old 
The oldest I have in terms of newspapers is two things. One is Canada Day, or sorry, Dominion Day from uh, July 1st, 1967, which of course was Canada's 100th birthday. Oh. And there's a, a, the most interesting thing about that is there's a, on page three, there's a very young uh, pr uh, aspiring uh, poet novelist uh, the, who's in her 20s, I think, and her name is Margaret Atwood. That They do a sort of future Canadians to watch kind of thing. And then the other one is, uh, I, I'll hold this one up this is the uh um the toronto telegram uh from july 16th uh, 1969 uh that was the day that uh neil armstrong uh walked on them oh no the day before he walked on the moon oh. mm -hmm. so looking mm -hmm. good we're gonna do it tomorrow they were orbiting in the capsule so it was just before he did i have the other one too where he actually walked but that one's uh less common right but the toronto telegram doesn't exist anymore right? i was just gonna ask you what do you know do you recall when that went away it was, I, I, I think, 71, 1971, oh, had and uh, it was sort of replaced about two years later by the Toronto Sun, uh, hmm. or maybe not even that long, because ex-Telegram people bought the equipment, uh, or ex, yes, ex-Telegram people bought the equipment and moved it and started the Toronto Sun. So Toronto's never really been without at least two or three papers, right? Because the Globe's always been there and the Star's always been there, too. The days of the daily paper, twice a day, right? The, the, the twice oh, yeah. dailies. Yeah. Wow. I still get mine on the doorstep, printed on the doorstep. Can't live without awesome. it. <laughs> okay. Because I was going to say the opposite is just like scrolling through Twitter. John, yeah. we're wrapping up here, but are you going to tell oh, us if you gosh. ever got in trouble for um, spending too much on any of this stuff? Oh, all the time. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> totally. Like, nobody understands, right? Nobody understands my uh, my need to collect things. Mm. So, and, and why would I pay for stuff? So... Um, when he started I, his own <laughs> bank account. The, the, the yeah. nice thing about collections, you don't have to put on a tax form, so I tend not to. That's right. True. Have to, right? True. Yeah. And if you make it look like something that maybe later you could bring people in and actually make money showing them, not that yeah, you would ever right. do that, but if it's all, it does, it does, it just keeps it from looking like junk. John, yeah, thank you so much. Hopefully they'll set up the Melville Museum one day. You're very oh, yeah. welcome, Amia. Your kids will. <laughs> thank you so much. John Melville is the Vice President of Content Development and Programming for AMI-TV and AMI-audio. Join us for our Collections and Hobbies segment on the second Tuesday of the month. We're wrapping up the show after the break here on Kelly and Ramia. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. up kelly and ramia here on ami and thanks for tuning in if you're here live we really appreciate it 2 to 4 p.m eastern time monday to fridays where you can catch us and when you can catch us where is on ami tv and on ami audio uh, also 10 p.m eastern time if you missed the original airing of the show we have our repeat at that time uh, on ami tv and on ami audio every eight hours we'll repeat so you can check us out there also available on podcasts on your favorite platform let me tell you a little bit about this month's book. We are in the midst of reading it. Well, some of us are, and some of us have already finished, and we'll go for round two later on in the month. We're discussing it at the end of the month, so feel free to join us and comment. I'm Glad My Mom Died is the title, and it's by Jeanette McCurdy. It was released in 2022, and it was uh, recommended to us by Nisreen Abdelmajid. Human narrated on Sila and available on audio. A little bit about the... Um, 
actual book. It's a memoir by iCarly and Sam and Kat star Jeanette McCurdy about her struggles as a former child actress, including things she dealt with like eating disorders, addictions, and a complicated relationship with her overbearing mother, um, who basically took control over her life. Jeanette writes in a very candid way, and it's a lot about uh, unflinching detail. And she chronicles everything that has happened to her when the dream comes true. She becomes a TV actress, a star, and how her life spirals before and after that. Uh, so talk about it on February 28th, the last Tuesday of the month, which is when we have our book club with Nisreen. Send us your email feedback, your phone feedback, 1-866-509-4545, or kellyandramia at ami.ca for your written feedback on the book and anything else, of course, about the show. Now, Kelly, really quickly, point to something from today's show that people can check out on podcast. Oh, boy. Really enjoyed all of our conversations today. But I think caring how to how to provide some um, that support to caregivers out there. Uh, we had a really wonderful chat uh, a little earlier in the show about it. And I really thought Amy brought to the table so many wonderful things for us to know and uh, really go back and check it. Fantastic. We also talked about mushrooms with Julia Carantis, our nutritionist. She really got into the details of the nutritional conversation, what mushrooms offer us nutritionally, which I thought was fantastic. Let's find out what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown, the Wednesday morning edition at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv with Paul Daniel, who's one of the producers on the show. Hello, Paul. Hello, Ramya. On tomorrow's show, climate policy is something of a hodgepodge of different perspectives when it comes to uh, action by uh, provincial governments. Tomorrow, journalist Arnold Pecky breaks down some of the different ways some provinces, especially in the West, are engaging or not engaging in some cases with the federal government on climate change. Amy Amanti, our community reporter in Vancouver, will discuss her recent experience visiting the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Mm. She'll also offer her perspective on the museum's accessibility. And on a completely lighter note, Shiny Sarah Vanamuthu will tell us about her upcoming bachelorette party, which is perfect timing, especially in Montreal in February, when it's cold, <laughs> windy, and the roads are treacherous. Fabulous. <laughs> that nice. is awesome. Well, good luck to Shiny and uh, all the other content creators, contributors on the show tomorrow. Contributors. That sounds yes. good. Either way, it sounds good. That yes. sounds nice. Thank That's you so much, Paul. Oh. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. Take care. <laughs> Paul Daniel, as I said, is one of the producers on Now with Dave Brown. And remember to catch them out daily at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-TV. So, on... question. Yes. Real quick. Yeah. The book, I Am Sam. Uh, we saw the movie. We talked about it oh, when gosh, we were doing yeah. AMI at the movies. We recently talked about it with Grant. And in the book we're reading this month, it is referenced. Is Just it? Want to share that. Oh, it because is. It's so ironic. Those things happen, right? That's right, and you're you're right. In the first like quarter of the book, it's mentioned. You bet, yeah. Oh, man, that movie makes me want to cry just talking about it. Ugh. You bet. Anyway, uh, tomorrow, the Wednesday edition of Kelly and Rumia, we have In the Know with Margaret Weldon, and she's highlighting important things. Today, we talked about caregivers. Tomorrow, about Doctors Without Borders, Medicine Sense Frontiers, and the David McAnthony uh, Vixen Foundation. Looking forward to learning more about that. And Bill Shackleton will be here with the buzz. We never know where he's going to go, but hopefully you'll be here with us to uh, see what he's uh, got to say and what he delivers. Well, it's the Wednesday edition, so we know that it might be more serious, maybe morbid. Like, that, that's really the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, most yeah. likely. And then by, by Thursday, it's a little lighter, and by Friday, he's only allowed light things, so <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> Thanks, girls. Have a good evening.
Thanks. Talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for your precious time spent with Kelly and Romeo on the show. Join us again tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern to do it all over again. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.